We start in verse 4 and looking at uh, Paul's reaction to this light. And so uh, what happens in verse 4? It says first that he fell to the earth. And so he had to be up on something in order to fall down. A lot of people believe he was probably riding on a horse or uh, some kind of a, a, an animal. And so he falls down to the earth from either this standing position that he was in or more likely uh, the animal that he was riding on. And he heard the question from the Lord. Uh, and in this hearing, it is emphasized uh, what he heard as opposed to what he saw. So remember, he sees a bright light. And after that, he heard a voice. Now, if any of you guys have tried to look up into the sun, <laughs> it's not not a good thing, right? <laughs> Almost immediately, your eyes become blurry. Now, imagine that as opposed to a light that's brighter than the brightest sun, right? The sun at its brightest in the apex of the day was not as bright as the light that Paul saw. And so as this light hits him, he loses sense of what he's seeing, and it's more important what he's hearing at this point. And so what are the words uh, from the Lord? He says, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> now think about Paul's frame of reference here. Someone who I will fully, and we have fully set up before, he thought that everything he was doing was on behalf of God, right? Even to persecuting and killing Christians, I am doing this for God. Think about some of these deranged people in some of these other religions. I think of, I don't want to pick on anyone here, but Muslims, right? These mercy killings and things that they do, they think that they're doing absolutely the right thing. And sometimes we can be deceived into thinking the things that we're doing are right, right? We have a righteous cause behind what we're doing. And this is where Paul was. He was completely deranged in his mind. But I will submit to you everything that he was doing. He thought that he, what he was doing was right. Uh, and so he didn't know the very one that he was supposedly fighting for, he was fighting against. And we see this here. So he says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and so, again, um, in this question, the Lord represents himself in unison with believers. And the Lord foresaw this union between believers, himself and the father as we go back to the gospel. So go back with me to uh, John chapter 15 and verse five. Now, Chris touched upon this in his paper in the, in the conference uh, and looking at this future relationship here uh, between the father and the son and how believers can relate to that. Uh, in his, his uh, paper on the way, the truth, and the light. Uh, but here in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. My father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you abide in me. And so he's looking at this, this future relationship, right? Where all believers have the opportunity that we have a position in Christ. And when we're living in that position, Christ can live or fill at ease in us, right? And so here's salvation. You've been provided all of these things by grace, but you walking them out in, in real time, 
It, it requires you living as to who you are in Christ. And so he says in verse four, abide in me, settle down or fill at home in me. Uh, <laughs> you guys might have, and I've heard the illustration done before of uh, vacations, right? Vacations are a lot of fun, but there's something about sleeping in your own bed <laughs> that's different than when you go on vacation and are sleeping in a bed in a hotel, right? You're not quite as settled as you are when you're at home and in your own bed. And so though you might be in a room, though you might have covering over you, though you might uh, be in a place where you should be able to feel comfortable, you don't feel as comfortable as you do when you're at home, right? And so while we're in these bodies, it's the same way. When we are living in these bodies, you might be living life, but are you living as settled as who you are in Christ, right? You might be in Christ, but are you abiding in Christ? Are you settled down and feeling at home in Christ? And so he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Um, for without me, you can do nothing. Now, a lot of people take this verse and say, oh, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Well, it's very particular here to spiritual things, right? You're not going to be able to accomplish the things that you would in Christ or bear fruit in Christ without you abiding in him and him abiding in you. Uh, I like the way Pastor Dave coined it um, and he came to do it after he wrote his uh, in Christ book, me and three and three and me. Right. As the persons of the Godhead, as you're living out as who you are in them, they then can abide in you. And what's the what's the fruit that you bear from that? You bear the parts of the fruit of the spirit. You show forth godliness. That's God's quality of life in human flesh. And uh, also eternal life is seen out through through these things. And so um, why are you persecuting me? He's looking at this relationship that believers have together in Christ and looking at this unity as one. So you're not just persecuting this believer that you see, right? You're not just jailing these believers. They're all connected to the head, which is the Christ, and you're persecuting them all. Well, that brings us to our next verse. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, we see Paul eventually realized the reality of the construction of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Now we've talked about before this entity that's called the Christ. And you don't usually see it borne out in your, your English text because they usually leave off that little article that's there. But it's very important when you're looking at this entity that's Christ as the head with us all making up the body. And you see it here in chapter 12. Uh, and, and really here, um, we talked about before as you get into chapter 12 and verse 13 and even in the verse or uh, chapter 14, he looks at this uh, use of spiritual gifts that's going on here. And how can you use your your spiritual gift in the right way where you're connected <laughs> to the head and the head is supplying everything you need. So then you are going out and supplying to the body what the body needs. See, a lot of times we 
discover our spiritual gift and, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do just because this is my gift, right? You guys can't tell a lot of times when we get up here and what our motivation is behind it. But as we're uh, connected to, to who we are in Christ, it's going to look the right way, right? For, for God in Christ. And he, he looks at us and says, oh, yeah, you're doing the right thing. But a lot of times we're not connected, right? And though you might hear verses, and I don't say we, maybe, maybe it's just me. I think the pastor is connected most of the time. But you guys might be able to get something out of it, but we're missing the blessing, right? And maybe we're not giving you as much as we need to because we're not connected to the head. And the same goes for anybody with the use of their spiritual gift. If you're not connected to the head, you might be doing things that are good, but is it what God wants you to do? Or is it out of your own self-effort? And he could still use what you're doing and and supply to other believers because he's God, but you're missing the blessing. And so being connected is very important. Verse 11 of chapter 12, it says, But all these worketh the one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man uh, severally or separately as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is not Christ, so also is the Christ. He's looking at an entity. He's not looking at a person. He's looking at this body that's constructed with Christ as the head and you and I fitting into the body that constructs the rest of that makeup, right? And so just like your brain tells your different parts of the body what to do and provides the impetus behind what you're doing, so also is the Christ, right? He's the brains of the operation. He's supplying to the rest of the body everything that it needs to operate. Verse 13, it says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all or been made or all been made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member but many and so as you look at spiritual gifts this is very important right we all have different gifts we all have something that we bring to the table that god has given to us and that he's supplying you the energy to be able to do in real time now it's going to be contingent upon you to be connected to the head in order to show forth what it is that that uh, gift supplies and so uh, when the Lord says to Saul on the road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? He's not just whistling Dixie. This is not just something he's saying just to be saying it. He indeed is being persecuted because he's connected to the rest of the body. And each one of these individual parts are being persecuted. Now, as we look to the bottom, his conversion, uh, speaking of Saul with the Lord, uh, is different than those of others. And so uh, just want to compare here uh, some of the other conversions that we saw. Uh, uh, Peter was calmly addressed by the Lord uh, in a vision um, and, and not really the conversions. I meant conversations there, <laughs> and I wrote conversations, but I say conversions. Uh, but go back with me over to Acts chapter 10 and verse 13. So now Peter is going to be instructed to go to Cornelius and to uh, help him uh, to be converted. Uh, and the conversation is quite a bit different than what you see here with Paul. But in verse uh, 9 of chapter 10, it says, 
And on the morrow, as they journeyed or went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up uh, upon the household to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw the heaven open and a certain vessel descending on, upon him as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth, wherein uh, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there uh, came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And it always uh, makes me chuckle here. <laughs> you're talking to the God that said that you're not supposed to eat unclean things, and you're telling him, Nope, <laughs> not going to do it when, he, when he's told you to do so. Uh, just funny to me. I don't know about anybody else. Verse 15. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not uh, thou common. Uh, this was done thrice and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Uh, and it goes on into the story there. And uh, we'll be looking at this uh, not far from now, but you see here, uh, he's telling him through this vision and through what he's telling him to do that you can now go to the Gentiles. And so as we looked at uh, kind of the larger outline of the book of Acts, you see the spread of the gospel from the Jews out from Jerusalem and into the other parts of, of Israel and then out to the Samaritans and then uh, unto the rest of the earth. And here uh, we see it starting to go even further uh, to the rest of the earth, which it, it started with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, but spread out from there. Uh, we can also see John was addressed while he was in the spirit over in Revelation chapter one and verse 10. Revelation chapter one and verse 10. And pick it up in verse 9. He says there, I, John, who also are, who also am a, your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in the book and send, uh, uh, and sent it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden or seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were like wool." and white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, 
I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so here you see, uh, <laughs> not, not uh, as dramatic of an entry, but you see the vision of what John saw as far as the Lord uh, had an effect on him. But it's not to the effect of what you see with Paul, right? Paul had to be jilted, right? Paul was in a place where he was headed 100% one way and he had to be sharply turned. Now, someone has told me, uh, and they use this as, as a business term when you're looking at businesses, you can't turn a, a big ship on a dime, right? It has to slowly turn around. Well, this ship was headed one way and God dramatically turned it around in the other direction. And we're going to see that with Paul. But go back with me over to Acts uh, chapter 9. And as we look to verse 5, you see here uh, the continued interplay. So in verse 5, we see the address of the Lord. And he said, uh, or, or the address to the Lord, uh, uh, Paul's response to him uh, as to what he said. And he said, who art thou, Lord? Now, this word for Lord can be used in a couple different ways. It's usually used in the New Testament, speaking of deity, right? And looking at the Lord as to who he is. Now, if you went back into the Old Testament, uh, you can see Lord in large text or Lord in small text. In the large text, it means Jehovah. In the smaller text, it means Adonai. And so looking at uh, more of a rela relationship to this word, word for uh, master or so, uh, uh, so, or sir. Uh, but here, I think in his first address, it was a polite address of one to another. So if I came to you and I said, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Straw, <laughs> being respectful of him as to who he is, right? If I came to him and I said, Master, <laughs> I'm bowing down to him as somebody that's greater than me. And so I think this first address, just basically from not knowing who he is or who it is that he's talking to here, is more of a sir, right? Who art thou, sir? Uh, and we see this. We can look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 to see something comparable. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Um... And pick it up in verse 25. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, such uh, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison, uh, awaking out of his sleep, seeing prisoners, uh, prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then uh, he called for, for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought, uh, brought them out and said, Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? So you see here, he's not saying masters. He's the one that was the jailer over them. He's uh, it's a polite and respectful address to say, hey, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's that same word there uh, for Lord. So you see it used in, in different ways. And I think this is the way of address here that that Paul is first addressing him with not knowing who he is. So as you go back to Acts chapter nine and verse five, we see this uh, translation of the word for Lord. And sometimes I get ahead of myself <laughs> in my notes uh, and caps as, as Jehovah and uh, Lord, uh, small uh, letters as Adonai from the Old Testament and referring to deity. Uh, Saul was uncertain as to who he was addressing, giving his inability to see. And so most likely he's saying, sir, here. Right. <laughs> and we see this. Now, what is his address to the Lord? Or what is the address from from the Lord uh, in response to, to Saul? He says, and the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Right. He doesn't say I am God. He doesn't say that I am Jesus Christ, the Lord. He says, I am Jesus whom you are currently persecuting. Now, when he uses that name, we read through scripture a lot of times and just blow by things, right? And I'm mostly speaking when I say we of myself, because I've read through this many times and probably blew right through it like it was nothing. But at a certain point, it occurred to me, he's saying, I am Jesus. I am giving you a familiar name that you might know, right? And it's been said here many times before Paul was around. He was old enough to have been around when Jesus walked the earth. And quite possibly when we look at his background and what we see over in Philippians chapter three, he was probably in the very crowd of those that were persecuting the Lord. So when he says, I am Jesus, whom you are currently persecuting. You don't see it, but there's a light bulb over my head. <laughs> light bulbs go off. What? <laughs> that one that we persecuted to the death, he's now the one speaking to me from heaven. He's the one causing this great light. Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe I made a mistake. And what's going on in the in the head of Paul at this moment? Uh this this I am Jesus, he uses the term ego I me, which you've heard before. I am right? I am Jesus. And I don't think that's insignificant because he could have simply said, ego, Jesus, right? I, Jesus, which would be the, the current and usual address. But this emphasizes the person that is speaking. And so I, on my part, am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so a uh, very, very pointed statement there. And so he reminds Paul of the one who was crucified not long before and the change in understanding of who Jesus is, uh, currently is. And we see Paul talk about this a little bit later over in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 16, where it's changed. Right. During Christ's earthly ministry, <laughs> he was some someone that people just saw as a man. So much so that they were willing to kill the prince of life, right? Well, he is not this way anymore in his glorified and resurrected state. And this is what uh, Paul comes to find out here in this context. Pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in this body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust are also made manifest in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on behalf of uh, on our behalf, that you may uh, have some somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, this idea of being outside of ourselves or mad, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died on behalf of all, then we are all dead. Then we're all dead. Verse 15. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died on behalf of them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, Yet now, henceforth, know we him no more, right? He is not the Jesus that was walking around on this earth, who people were hurling insults at, who people crucified up to the death. He is Jesus in his glorified and resurrected state. And this is who Paul is hearing, (laughs) not able to see at this time, but hearing the voice from. And I think it made a, a... profound effect on his life. And we're going to see that moving forward. So going back over to Acts chapter nine and verse five, we see uh, the persecution of a ghost. Now, this is <laughs> this is a uh, tongue in cheek speech here. <laughs> and so Jesus was crucified and Jesus states himself to be presently living. And so as you're looking in the mind of Paul, all of these things are going on. Jesus states himself as presently being persecuted by Saul. Now, this word for persecuted is one we've done a lot of study on here over the years. It's the same word used for following after. And it's amazing that Paul, the one that was following after or pursuing believers to do contrary to what God desired, is going to be changed to where he's following after or pursuing with the same vigor those things of God. And so what does it tell us in many places over in uh, uh, chapter three of Philippians? He says, uh, what does he want to do? He wants to disregard those things that were before and reach to those things which are ahead of him. Why? In verse nine, it says that he might be found where? In Christ. <laughs> so he's pursuing with ferocity, with the same ferocity that he was pursuing believers before, he's now pursuing that position in Christ so that he can accomplish those things that God desires for him. Uh, and this is just the beginning here in chapter five of, of, uh, first Corinthians now, or of Acts, <laughs> first Corinthians. Uh, and so, um, Oh, I do have in my notes some of these things for suffering, but uh, suffering is rewarded by the inheritance of the believer. We see that over in Romans chapter eight and verse 17. And so looking at this idea of, of persecution, uh, suffering is shared between the body of Christ. And so uh, in first Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26, why can Christ say that? 
he's suffering with believers because we see it right there in the New Testament, right? Where, where one suffers, we all suffer. And that's stated right after uh, the fact that we are one body in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And then Paul's suffering was uh, uh, stated to be on behalf of the Lord, as we see over in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. And you guys can go back and look at those on your uh, time if you'd like to. And so as we continue to look at this statement here with the Lord, there's a futility to Paul's activity, right? And he talks about it when he comes over to Philippians chapter three. Those things that I was doing in the past. Now imagine uh, he had received all kinds of rewards for everything that he was doing in this body up to this point, right? He was seen at, at the top, at the very top of where you needed to be in the elite class of Israel as far as the Hebrew religion. And yet it was all for nothing, right? All of these accomplishments, all of these things that he counted to be something, we're going to come to see in chapter three of Philippians that he counted scubula, right? And uh, you can figure out yourself what scubula is. Uh, he counted it nothing. And so uh, there is a textual problem here in, in verse five. He says to him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, I would say that the better manuscripts would probably leave that out in this this uh, point in time. But it doesn't matter because he ends up stating it later when he's talking in front of uh, Felix, I believe. Uh, well, Agrippa. And here it is. Maybe if I pay attention to my notes, I would <laughs> I would see it. And so go with me over to Acts chapter 26 and verse 14. And so here he's appearing in front of uh, Agrippa and rehearsing to him all that had happened and why he is where he is as far as um, going up against these Jews. And let's pick it up at uh, verse 10. Well, yeah, maybe back a little further. Verse 7. Yeah, I'll make up my mind yet here. Let's just go back to the beginning in verse one. It says, then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. I think it's myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, uh, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth was at, uh, was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So we, we don't get the whole picture, right? We don't see this happening in real time. If we had a video that played out and showed us all of these events taking place, we would see it. But these same people that are now persecuting him, Paul had relationships with before. He's not far removed from having been right among these people, right? And so this is the backdrop of these these conversations and this persecution that he's enduring right now. In verse 6 it says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which uh, hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be uh, thought a thing of in incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought 
with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad, this idea of mad is raging against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities, whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. Now here we get a little bit more backdrop of what we see over in chapter 9, right? He's not just going to Damascus for a purpose. He has driven believers out of Jerusalem, right? And they are fleeing from him. And he's not happy with them just being out of Jerusalem. He's willing to hunt them down and go house to house. He is maniacal, right? And I said it before, I'll say it here again. He's on Hitler level of persecution, right? Door to door, (laughs) willing to kill and to imprison. Verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which were uh, journeyed with me. And when we were uh, all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, there's no textual variant here, so we know that this is, is true of what was said in verse 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for the purpose to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which I, which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles uh, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from uh, darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by the faith that is in me. Whereupon, uh, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and of at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. And so here you see uh, Paul rehearsing those things that are happening right now in Acts chapter nine. And so next next week we'll come back and continue on uh, through uh, this actual story in verse six. So good cliffhanger for us to leave off on. All right. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful for the opportunity to uh, look at this story, uh, an amazing story. And it helps us to know that there is nothing good in and of ourselves. There is uh, nothing good of anybody who was saved. And, and furthermore, you can use anybody to accomplish your will. The more depraved the individual, it seems, the more opportunity you have to glorify yourself through them. And so we can be grateful uh, that even us, uh, you can use, even in this time now, you can uh, give us ability uh, to glorify yourself. And we pray that we will walk in that. For us in your son's name we pray. Amen.